Welcome to LilyPod Episode 6, Cultivating Love for Thy Neighbor. Welcome to LilyPod with Jeff and Kathy Teichert. We are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and Certified Life Coaches. Together, we founded Love in Later Years, also known as Lily. Our messages are directed toward mid-single and remarried couples. We also welcome anyone who enjoys personal development and enriching relationships. In our second episode, we talked about the energy of love and how our greatest commandments are to love God, ourselves, and our neighbors. For the last two podcasts, we talk about ways to cultivate love for God and ways to cultivate self-love and self-care. For this episode, we are going to explore practical ways to cultivate love for our neighbors. And who are our neighbors? Interesting point. When the Savior was asked, who is my neighbor, he told the parable of the Good Samaritan, who was from an enemy country, uh, but helped someone along the way, along a dangerous road called the Jericho Road. I want to talk about two experiences I had in the mission field that helped me understand this principle better. I remember in my first area, uh, my companion and I walked into a very strange yard. As we passed by, there had been a swimming pool there, but it was, it was, the water in it was green. The cement was cracked all the way across. It obviously hadn't been maintained, and there was some kind of a boat floating in it with that was partly full of water. As we approached the front door, the, the house, if you think of most houses having a a point coming to a point at the top. This was a V-shaped house. So the point, it pointed downward in the middle instead of upward. And it was a funky looking house. Uh, the paint was peeling off it. It obviously hadn't been maintained either. And we actually wondered if anybody lived there. Uh, but there were a lot of kids running in and out. So we knocked on the door. It was early in the evening and we heard this voice. Hello. Come in. (laughs) And we walked into the house. And how do I even describe it? There were chickens and goats inside the house. There was a 10-year-old making some scrambled eggs. And there were spiders in spider webs above the stove where he was cooking. And I thought, he might get a spider as part of his dinner. Ooh, protein. And... (laughs) And uh, to top it off, there was a man who looked to be in his 50s lying on a grease-stained couch with a blanket over him, and he was literally surrounded on that couch by probably 200 beer bottles and was obviously drunk. Well we almost turned around and left like, what's the point? But he was sober enough that he was able to talk to us. 
And we continued to talk to this man uh, over a period of months, the rest of the time that I served in that area. And he never really got to the point of being baptized or anything like that, but, but we did see him fix up an old car and register it with the state. I heard a, his life story and how he had been a very successful person. And when he lost a business and a marriage, his life completely fell apart. Something that I understand better now. I'm glad that I was not a person who indulged in alcohol or I could have gone the same way as him. But I developed a great feeling of empathy for him, even though I had not experienced what he had. And he had kind of given up on many things. Uh, I had the experience. I found out that his daughter um, did not want him at her wedding because she was worried about how he might act. And he, he guaranteed me that he would wear a suit, that he would bathe and shave, and that he would be on his best behavior at the wedding. And I helped him find his daughter, my companion and I did. We helped him find her and we talked to her. And we told her what her father had agreed to. And he was able to go to the wedding and it was a good experience for everyone involved. He didn't misbehave or he, he had promised to come sober and not drink at the wedding and he didn't. And, uh, you know, it touched his heart that my companion and I would, would do this for him, um, take a personal interest in his happiness. One other story, and then I'll kind of make the point. Uh, the first companion that I trained, uh, he and I met a young woman, probably 20, 23 to 25 years old. And we found out, teaching her the first discussion, that she was a prostitute. And I'm, I'm not speaking in some sort of figurative sense. That was the way she made her living. And we continued to, to teach her and uh, showed her a different way. And, and she uh, ultimately gave, gave up prostitution and, and took a job that was a lot less lucrative. Um, she at one time really seriously entertained the possibility of getting baptized. And she told us during that discussion I feel like my whole life it's been raining and finally somebody's showing me a rainbow. And it was like the first time she'd ever seen the sun peeking through the clouds. She had left home when she was 14 years old uh, because of an abusive relationship with her parents, moved in with a boyfriend. And when he was 19, when she was 19, he went to prison. And that was how she ended up addicted to heroin and a prostitute. And we helped her get on methadone to, to get off the, the heroin. I don't know what's become of her since then, but I remember the day that her sister came back into her life and convinced her to stop seeing us and it broke our hearts. And 
You know, some people might ask us, why are you wasting your time with a prostitute or an alcoholic? We learned to see those people the way that God sees them and to love them in some small measure in the way that he loves them and wanting, found ourselves wanting to help them come out of that mist of darkness that they were living in. And not for our own benefit or fulfillment, but, but for them. And so I believe uh, the desire to see other people the way that God and Jesus Christ see them and to love them the way that they love them is fundamental to our quality of life, the way we see God, the way we see ourselves, the way we see the world. And it can impact your approach to dating. You can even include in that kind of love for your neighbor, a love for your dating partners that break your heart. And even a former spouse that may have broken your heart. And so I hope that that, that you know that, that gives us a little something to, to ponder. You know, those were really beautiful stories and uh, really great examples of the kind of love we can offer to our neighbors and our neighbor and and to answer the question, who are our neighbors? It's all of humanity. And when you were on your mission, the people in your sphere of influence were the people that you met, the people that you were there to, to be a light to. And then later when you were married and you had a family of your own, then, you know, the, your sphere of influence became your family and your home. And, you know, we talked about with like the priority order of relationships that, you know, our closest neighbors are the people who live with us for So it would also have on your mission been your companion. Of course. Because um, you're most effective as a companionship to go out and love the people if, uh, if your companionship is solid. Right. And in fact, our mission president used to say, you know, he would say, are you keeping the commandments? And he would say, what do I mean by the commandments? And he would put up his 10 fingers and say the 10 and then raise two fingers, the two and the missionary handbook. And, and he would say, who is your closest neighbor? And, you know, of course the answer to that was your companion and uh, living with another, you know, when you're 19, 20 years old, living with another young person 24 hours a day and never being out of each other's sight, that can be a trial and a challenge. Uh, and it does a lot to grow you up. Um, you realize kind of everybody's going to get on your nerves sooner or later. And uh, how are you going to handle that? And one, one thing I guess I would like to sort of uh, spin off from that. I, I think in our faith, we think a lot about covenants. And, and I appreciate that. I mean, I, I'm grateful for my covenants and I think there's power in them. Where I think we can stumble on that idea 
uh, at least one way, is that we tend to look at the covenants of marriage and we have our own interpretation for what it means to be married and what covenants require and we hold our spouse's feet to the fire. Uh, and I think I did that to some degree in my, in my first marriage. And, you know, it was easy for me after uh, my former wife left the church and whatever to, to say, well, she threw away our covenants. And yet, you know, if I look at, in retrospect, if I look at my own conduct in the relationship, although I, you know, I didn't uh, abuse her in any serious way or the things that you think of. I wasn't into porn. You know, I didn't drink. I mean, go, go down the list. Um, none of that was present. But were there moments when we were together that she might have felt just a little judged or just a little bit like I didn't quite approve of her? And I read a really great book, which many of you may have read, called The Anatomy of Peace. And it's a, it's a lengthy book, and I can't summarize it all during this podcast, but I do want to say it, its core message is that when we view another person as a means to an end, as a way to help us get something we want, or we see that person as an obstacle in the way of something we want, then we're objectifying them. And doesn't that happen from time to time, even in the best relationships? <laughs> yeah, I think it I think it does because we're all human. We all feel entitled to certain things or want certain things from a partner. And you know, you've probably all had that experience if you've dated very much, where somebody decides they don't want to date you and you feel kind of hurt and you lash out a little bit or you say something you you know, that you might later regret because you wanted something. You wanted that person as your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, and they didn't want that. See, and I've never seen that as very sincere. Uh, I personally uh, believe in being classy when relationships don't work out the way you hope because that's a sincere friendship and, and loving kindness that we can show our dating partners. I had a, a couple of serious relationships in the, you know, four years or so before I married Kathy and uh, I guess three years. But anyway, one of those serious relationships uh, was with a woman who I, I dated on again and off again several times. And as soon as it would start to get serious, she would panic and we would break up and then we would end up getting back together and we would inevitably fall in love again. And then the same thing would happen. And there were times when I felt really frustrated, but I remember getting a certain moment of inspiration. She is more important than your agenda for her. And now that didn't necessarily mean anything about my relationship with her. Or did, did it mean I was going to get married to her? No. Did it mean I wasn't? No. That relationship had to run its course and we had we both had decisions to make. But the thing that was plainly revealed to me is she matters more than she is a person. She has opinions, a mind, a will 
dreams, hopes, all of that just as real as mine. And when we learn to think of, of someone else as a human being instead of as a, a means to an end or an, uh, something blocking us from getting to where we want to go, then I think we can, we can stop objectifying them and really see them as a child of God. Right. And whenever we've had some tension between us and we might have started down that road of objectifying each other, whenever we switch back to this, this premise of you have your agency, you have your life, you are important, and you're just as important as me, we get back on track. And it's a really good feeling when you're either <clears throat> objectifying someone you love and realizing it and then you know backing off of that or when you are being objectified and and that person realizes it and they back off of that and start loving you again it's really a beautiful way to approach relationships and to be able to check ourselves right i think those principles that that Kathy just talked about affected my approach to dating a lot and ultimately that is I think what prepared Kathy and I to be together, to accept one another and, and to um, live peacefully and happily together is, is uh, seeing each other that way, at least most of the time. I mean, right. like she said, we all have our moments when we're triggered and we try to, you know, we find ourselves grasping for the other person to do or be what we need. Right. But, you know, when I thought of practical ways to cultivate love for others, uh, as we were preparing for this podcast, the first thought that came to my mind was forgiveness, um, because we all make mistakes and we all require grace. And this is closely related to what we were just talking about. Um, when we realize we need grace and we offer ourselves compassion, we naturally bestow that same grace on those who fall short, just as we all do. With what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. That's what Jesus said. And I think it actually is internal. We tend to, if we judge others harshly, we judge ourselves harshly. It, it goes back and forth. How, if we choose to be more grace-giving and more compassionate versus more judgmental and more condemning. Right. I think for, for many years... Um, our faith had a culture where we were so proud of, of the uniqueness of what we believed that we could tend to overdo that a little bit and be judgmental of, of others. And uh, I think what's really important to remember is that we will receive the mercy we extend to others. And, uh, you know, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Um, Evander Holyfield, some of you have heard of him, great heavyweight boxer, uh, made tens of millions of dollars during his career. He had one fight where he made $75 million in a single fight, and he lost all of his money. He was taken advantage of by unscrupulous people that were more educated than he was. And someone asked him, I think it was Tony Robbins actually, that asked him, you know, how did you get over what these people had done to you. And he said, if you think you love somebody, 
but you can't forgive. You don't really love them. You're telling yourself a story. And he said, you know, as a Christian man, he felt it was his duty to love everyone, even the people who despitefully use and persecute you, as the scripture says. Wow, that's amazing. So, you know, another closely related way of cultivating love uh, to forgiveness is tolerance. We all have annoying habits and frustrating idiosyncrasies. Uh, we can do our best to look past them and see the strengths behind those annoyances um, because often our flops have a flip side. Um, there's two sides to each characteristic and choosing to look for the good in people makes tolerance easy. Um, we can develop an appreciation for diversity um, because there's so much we can learn from those um, who are different from us and um, from different cultures. And um, I think that's amazing that we, there's so much variety in this world. Well, and you know, I was a, a middle-class white kid from Orem, Utah, and I was called to serve a mission in, in Queensland, Australia, as far away as you can get from here on the planet. Uh, and, you know, completely unprepared for the things that I was going to experience, like meeting Eddie White or Vivian King, um, the people that I talked about early in this broadcast. I mean, completely unprepared. But, you know, if I had stayed in Orem, Utah uh, for those two years and gone to college and done the normal things that people in that age group do instead of being a minister of the gospel for two years overseas, you know, would I have had the expansive worldview that I did and would I have met the kind of people that could really, you know, make me question, do I love the way that God loves? Are you kidding me? You know, I, it was, it was uh, an amazing experience that way. And I think sometimes by serving others, we learn the most. And sometimes encountering people that are different. You can encounter a prostitute and find out that she has a beautiful heart. You can encounter uh, a broken man like Eddie was and, uh, and see why Jesus Christ would die for someone like that. Because the man had real love despite his many imperfections. I want to say something about the prophet Enoch. Uh, and God showed him all of his creations and showed him all the nations of the earth. And in fact, he said, were it possible that a man could number the particles of the earth, yea, millions of earths like this, it would not be a beginning to the number of thy creations and thy curtains are stretched out still. I can't even conceive of that. So, so if you could measure all of, count all the particles of the earth, it wouldn't be, it, it wouldn't be a beginning to the number of worlds he has created. That just blows my mind. I mean, I can't even conceive of numbers that, that big. But Enoch, is at, he says this, asking him, asking God, why are you crying? 
And it says that God looked upon the residue of the people and he wept. And Enoch was, was asking him, why, why are you crying? How is it that the heavens weep and shed forth their tears as the rain upon the mountains? And what was God's answer to that? He said, unto thy brethren have I said and also given commandment that they should love one another and that they should choose me their father. But behold, they are without affection and they hate their own blood. Choose one another and love me their father. Choose mm. me their father. The two great commandments. Yeah. You know, and not only is our neighbors all of humanity, it's our brothers and sisters. Right. Under and, God, our Father in heaven. I mean, and ask yourself, am I going to treat Kathy better if I understand that she's a child of God and God loves her just as much as he loves me? I think that's how we love our neighbor as ourself. And sometimes I think that can be the best way to go about forgiving someone who's really hard to forgive. Uh, sometimes it's very uh, easy to demonize a former spouse and to not see any redeeming qualities in them. And, and of course, if we need to uh, protect our, our well-being by setting boundaries uh, legally or otherwise, then we still need to do that. But uh, none of us have ever fallen so far that we are beyond the grace of Christ and the love of God. Right. Even a prostitute, even a chronic alcoholic, even a heroin addict, even all those people that cheated Evander Holyfield out of his millions of dollars. And if you want a, a beautiful quote sometime, Google C.S. Lewis and potential gods and goddesses. And there's a great quote in there about how you have never met a mere mortal. And that even the crudest person you've ever met, if you could see them as God does, you, you would be highly tempted to worship them. And, you know, that is, is seeing the seeds of Godhood in someone who seems like a hopeless alcoholic and a bum like Eddie White. By the way, I'm not necessarily using correct names. And um, That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, last but not least, uh, when we approach life with a, a genuinely positive attitude, we elevate the energy around us. We can love others simply by vibrating at a high frequency. My number one job, and I believe everyone's number one job should be to be in a state of feeling good all the time. Now, we're human, life happens. It may not be possible every second of every day, but I like to believe that it is possible, that with God's help, it's possible, and that being in a state of feeling good is and an awesome state of mind is when we show up optimally in everything we do and everyone we serve. Yeah, and I think that when it comes to uh, even our moments of grief, 
you know, I remember I really loved my brother uh, and when he died, it was very difficult. But in that grief, I could celebrate the fact that he was a person I loved. And same thing when I lost my grandfathers, you know, the, the pain wasn't bitterness. It was about loss. And in that sense, you can choose to feel the pain and understand that, that feeling the pain in that moment feels good. Yeah, to, to be in a state of feeling good isn't to be happy all the time because our emotions are going to vary. It's just, it's to be in a high frequency. It's to be in a state of gratitude and love and kindness in our hearts. And that helps us show up optimally. And that's life. much different than anxiety and bitterness. So I want you to remember, friends, anytime is the right time for more love in your life. Thank you for listening to Love in Later Years. Catch you next time.